Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 15 as we continue to go through um, the, the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. The events of Mark chapter 15 happened on a Friday. In a week unlike any other. If you've been with us for some months, you know that in the last number of weeks we've been looking at this week. Five days earlier, five days before the Friday that we're going to look at here in Mark chapter 15, five days earlier on Sunday, Jesus had entered Jerusalem to the cheers of a multitude. We refer to it as the triumphal entry. It was Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and people were cheering. People were excited. They were saying things like, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Many of them were welcoming Jesus as the Messiah, and this multitude was very excited to see him. That was on Sunday. On Monday, the Bible tells us that he, he cursed a fig tree that did not bear fruit, and he also cleared the temple of people who were misusing it. That was on a Monday. On Tuesday, Jesus answered many questions, questions that were asked intending to trap him in his words. It didn't work, but he answered many questions. He taught the great commandment. He spoke of the future, and later on that Tuesday, he observed, he observed a widow woman who gave a small offering, everything, but it was everything that she had, who gave a small offering, but she had a very big heart in doing so. And she demonstrated great faith. That was on, that was on Tuesday. On Wednesday, one of Jesus' disciples, Judas was his name, uh, arranged to betray Jesus. That was on Wednesday. Thursday of that week was it was a very full day. On Thursday, Jesus oversaw what we call the Last Supper. In fact, that's something that we're going to remember and observe today at the close of this time. On Thursday, Jesus oversaw what we call the Last Supper. He washed his disciples' feet. He established a new covenant in his blood. He later on prayed and died to himself in a garden that was called Gethsemane. And then late on that Thursday, Jesus was arrested. Thursday was a very, very full day. In fact, the Gospel of John dedicates chapters to Thursday. And then, now, here it is Friday. On early on, earlier on this Friday, Jesus was brought before a, or the Roman governor, his name was Pilate. Pilate sentenced Jesus to death. Jesus was then beaten and mocked and humiliated. Now, everything that I just talked about there in those few seconds, there's so much more to it. It's actually almost an understatement, me even mentioning, because there's so much that happened in, in that early on that Friday. At nine o'clock in the morning, at nine o'clock in the morning, on a Friday morning, Jesus, the Bible tells us, was mercilessly nailed hand and foot to a cross. They didn't lift him up and put him on the cross. The cross would have been laid down. He was nailed to it, his hands outstretched, his feet one folded probably over the other, one spiked through both. And then that cross was raised up. It was set in place, either propped up or dropped into a hole. The, ra the cross was raised up and set in place so that many people could see Jesus. And that was intentional. I don't know exactly how far off the, the ground it was, probably not that high, but it was high enough so that people could see him. That, again, was very intentional because Roman crucifixion was, was not simply a way to mete out punishment or capital punishment. 
but it was to make an example. The Roman government wanted people to see a person who was crucified so that a message could be sent, a very clear, clarion clear message could be sent, and that was, quite simply, don't mess with Rome. The Bible tells us that Jesus hung on that cross for six hours, from nine in the morning to shortly after three o'clock in the afternoon. During that time, while Jesus hung on that cross for those six indescribably painful and agonizing hours, for those six hours, many people saw Jesus hanging on the cross. Some interacted with Jesus as he hung on the cross. So who were some of these people? Well, the Bible tells us that, of course, there were soldiers who were there who saw him on the cross. They were the ones who nailed him there. They were the ones who, maybe off to one side, uh, maybe behind it, somewhere near the cross, it says that they they took his clothes off of him, nailed him to the cross, raised him up, and then there were some soldiers that are recorded there that began to draw lots or to determine who would receive his clothing because they knew that he wasn't going to use it anymore. So there were some soldiers there. They saw him on, on the cross. The Bible says that there were some people walking by who saw him and mocked him. People that, again, this was, this, this was intentional. The, the place of crucifixion was a, a place that was not out of the way or in an obscure place, but rather in a very visible place. So as people would walk by, they would, they would verbally abuse, they would, they would throw taunts, or they would, they would uh, mock the person who was hanging there on the cross, and this, this happened to Jesus. It records that, that there were people that were walking by and, and mocking him. Some of the priests who had arranged, who had earlier arranged Jesus' arrest, some of those priests who sent the people and even accompanied the people who came the night before on that Thursday night to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, some of those priests were standing nearby as well. Probably not too close, they didn't want to get their hands dirty, but maybe some distance off. And they were, and, and it says that they too verbally abused Jesus as he hung on the cross. So they saw him. So you have soldiers who saw him, passers-by who saw him, some of the priests, the Jewish priests who saw him. Matthew's gospel records two thieves were crucified also with Jesus. Um, one was crucified on one side and one on the other, three crosses. So sometimes you see a scene with three crosses you may wonder, why is that? Because Jesus was not the only one crucified that day. There were also two others. Now, they were, they were thieves. The Bible is very clear. The Bible, again, says this in Matthew's gospel. Other gospels say that there were two crucified, but, but Matthew's gospel says that they were robbers or thieves. They were crucified there as well. So they saw him. And they had an interesting vantage point, didn't they? they, they, they uh, everyone else was down on the ground and looking up, but the thieves hanging beside him did not look up, but they looked over. So they saw Jesus hanging on the cross. John's gospel says Jesus' mother. Jesus' mother saw Jesus on the cross, which I think I've perhaps mentioned before that that, that should not have happened. I mean, in, in the, the, the human part of me, I, I understand. I'm, I'm, in one sense, I'm glad, but what a horrible thing for a mother to see her son, her firstborn son, on the cross. But Mary was there along with two other women, and John's gospel also records that John himself was there. In fact, we know that, as far as we know, he was the only disciple who was there of the 12 disciples. He was the only disciple who was there and who saw Jesus hanging on the cross Maybe you never thought of the number before, but a lot of people saw Jesus on the cross. They, they saw him on, literally saw him on the cross. You know, now, many years later, and, and in the centuries between then and now, a lot of people have seen images of Jesus, or it's been depicted, or it's been recreated, not 
just, just in a visual sense. There was only one crucifixion, but, but there have been many portrayals of it, and we've seen that. But there were some people that saw, many people who, who actually visibly, literally saw Jesus hanging on the cross. And there are responses, and we can, you can go through this between the four Gospels. There's really a lot of interaction, and their verbal responses are varied. The way that they responded or replied to seeing Jesus on the cross, it, it, was, it was rather varied. Some mocked him again. Uh, some, some the, the thieves, they agonized beside him. Others were brokenhearted before him. So a lot of different responses that people had when they saw Jesus hanging on the cross. But there's one man who saw Jesus like no other. Let me say that again. There, there, is, there is one man recorded in Scripture who saw the scene of Jesus on the cross like no other person. We're going to read his brief part, his brief story that's recorded here. But before we read about him, I want us to read Mark chapter 15, verse 37. Mark 15, 37 reads this way, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. That is a very brief line. It's one verse, verse 37. It's very brief, just eight words long. But that line, that line that you see before you with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. That one line is really one of the most significant statements in the entire Bible. Now, I love God's word and I love all of it, but, but that, that, that line right there, that eight-word line is one of the most significant lines, statements, truths in the entire word of God. Because it's in that moment, in that moment, it says, with a loud cry, it records elsewhere what, what he cried out. But I want you just to, for a moment to observe and to listen. It says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And he breathed out, but he didn't breathe in. Jesus breathed his last. Now at the end of that verse, verse 37, you see a period. Here's what happened at that period, at that point of that period. Jesus breathed his last. And in that very moment, in that moment when Jesus died, in the moment that Jesus breathed his last and his body died, Jesus did what he came to do. A few months ago, we celebrated Christmas, and, and rightly so, we, we put emphasis on that, Jesus' arrival, but Jesus came all those years before. Jesus walked as a man. Jesus worked these miracles. He did all of this for a reason, and that is in large part for this moment. Jesus, in coming, knew that he was going to die. That at some point, he would become a sacrifice on a cross. He knew that. And at some point, he would breathe his last on that cross. And in that moment, he would do what he came to do. In that moment when Jesus died, he became, in that moment, when Jesus breathed his last, in that moment, Jesus became the sacrifice for your sins and for my sins. In that, think of that, you're familiar with this, this scene perhaps, but in that moment, Jesus became the sacrifice for my sins, your sins, and for the sins of mankind. The Bible tells us that all of the sin of mankind was placed upon him. He literally breathed his last for our sins. And it's at this moment, verse 37, that it happened. In that moment, salvation became possible. In that moment, the separation between holy God, Jehovah God, and sinful mankind was restored. 
It had been broken thousands of years before this in the Garden of Eden when mankind sinned. That's when it was broken, but now it was, it was healed, it was restored. Now there was this restoration between God and mankind in that moment when Jesus breathed his last. And, 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 and this moment, while you may have seen it depicted or portrayed in some media or another, while that moment was gruesome and that moment was painful, and that moment was disturbing to see, that moment, that moment right there, when Jesus breathed his last, that moment changed everything. Earlier we sang a song, or part of a song, that went like this, what can wash away my sins? Question mark. Response, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It was in this moment, with his shed blood and his death, that my sins could be washed away if I come to him. Now, here's the thing. At that very same moment, you understand the time sequence. It's shortly after 3 o'clock on a Friday. Shortly after 3 o'clock on a Friday, Jesus cried out, and breathed his last. And at that very moment that Jesus died, just a short distance away, really not more than maybe just a, a, a few hundred yards at the most, maybe a, maybe as maybe as little as maybe as little as a hundred yards or less. In that very same moment, in the temple, something else happened because verse thirty-eight reads this way, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now that too is a very, very brief phrase or brief line, and there's more to it, of course, than that. So let me explain. It says here again, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple was just a short distance away, not very far away from the, the site of crucifixion. This curtain that is being referred to in the temple that it's spoken of here um, really had its origin about 1,400 years before. Here's the short version. About 1,400 years before, as shortly after God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, the people were en route to the promised land. It was a long trip. It took about 40 years. Um, God was dealing with some other things in their lives. But during that time, God set up um, a, a, a certain kind of a protocol. In the desert, as they're wandering around, he gave them directions for something called a tabernacle. It was like a, it was like a, a mobile temple, if you will. And he gave very clear instructions that within this tabernacle, this place of worship or this place in which, in which the presence of God was, was symbolized and really, in, in fact, was there uh, the, the, in, in that tabernacle, there were certain places that some people could go other places where just a few people could go, and then there was one place in the tabernacle where only one person could go, and then only at certain times to do certain things, to, to make peace with God, to bring the, the sins of the people to God and ask for, for a covering, not really a forgiveness, but a covering. Now, that's the short version, but what happened in the, in the years that followed that when they established the, the, the temple here in Jerusalem, they pretty much copied that, again, directed by God. There was this place called the Holy of Holies. It was the, the inner sanctum, the most central part of, of where only one or two people could go, uh, and, and it, was, it was a very special place. No one else could go there. There were some people that could go to an outer area, the holy place, uh, and, then, and then everyone else around, they could not get there at all. And so for about 1,400 years, people had been conditioned to think that I don't have access to God. Only a few people, only certain priests can, can get close to the presence of God. That was the message that was being sent. But here's the remarkable thing. In, and, and it was separated. This holy place and the most holy place was separated by this very thick curtain. So it's, it's pretty important that you understand what was happening there. In the very moment that Jesus breathed his last, in that same moment, a short distance away, that curtain 
that symbolized the separation between holy God and humankind was separated. It was severed. It was torn from top to bottom. Uh, somebody has, has observed that, that it was torn top to bottom because it was, it, was, it was God reaching down to man, not man trying to tear it from the bottom up. It's pretty significant. That's a pretty powerful line. God was essentially saying what Jesus did is sufficient and now there is no longer a separation between God and between mankind because my son Jesus Christ made all the difference on the cross when he breathed his last. Amen. Glory to God. Now, Wow, that's, that's pretty neat. Well, yeah, but a few minutes ago, I told you that there was one person who observed the crucifixion scene like no other. Verse 39 reads this way. And when the centurion, now stop there. It says, when, first four words, and when the centurion. I need to explain who he was uh, or what he was. A centurion was a key officer in the Roman army. Centurions were the people across the Roman Empire in the army who really got things done. I mean, they were the key player. The centurion uh, was was really the, the 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 most important officer in the entire army, and it was this centurion, it was this centurion who commanded the soldiers who carried out the execution. He wasn't necessarily the person who drove the nails, but he was the person who said, "All right, drive the nails." He wasn't necessarily the one who, who, uh, who uh, you know, made sure that everyone was dead, but he was the one who would say, now make sure every, everyone is dead. The, the centurion was a very important person. His name is never given in any of the Gospels, but he was a very key person. And it's safe to say he had probably crucified others before these three. It wasn't great duty, but it was necessary. Again, remember the, the, one of the purposes of execution on the cross, crucifixion, was to send a message, don't mess with Rome. And, and, and th- this person was, was a very key part of that. And, and for this reason, because he had probably officiated at other crucifixions, he was probably a person, and again, quite safe to say, he was a person who would have been very hardened and even emotionally calloused to the agony of those who died. I mean, how, how else could you do it, right? I, how, how else could you do it, person after person? Crucifixions were not an uncommon thing, but rather a common thing, and and and. They, they, they would suffer for hours, even days, on a cross. And, and, and he had become hardened, I'm sure, to, to the cries and the suffering and the begging of those people on the cross. And I'm sure on countless other occasions, he would just stand there and just mark time, make sure everything's in order. He would have been a hardened man. You would have to be to do what he did. I'm not making excuses for him, I'm just explaining. I believe it's also safe to assume that when this centurion first saw Jesus earlier on this day, he probably believed Jesus was just another criminal who was condemned to die. (laughs) May have gone something like this, okay, who's up today? Well, we've got three. We've got a a person who who claims to be the Messiah and he's talking about tearing down the temple and he's a bit of a rabble rouser and possible insurrectionist, he's been condemned, and we also have two, okay, let's get her done, <laughs> nine o'clock, all right. Earlier on this day, Jesus had probably been to him just another person condemned to die. But verse 39 continues. It says, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus, again, stop there. It says, we have this cross on the wall over here. It says he stood he stood in, so just picture this. I mean, here's the centurion. He is front and center. He is standing in front of the cross. That's an amazing vantage point, isn't it? Nobody saw it like him. Nobody saw the cross like him. He's standing right in front of Jesus. Jesus undoubtedly saw him. And I point this out because it says that he stood there in front of Jesus. Because he stood in front of Jesus, because he was right there with that vantage point, 
Because of that vantage point, he would have seen more than any other person. Remember the persons that I talked about? People walking by, the, the priests, the other soldiers, even the persons hanging beside him. They were rather preoccupied at the moment. But this man, the centurion, saw more than any other person. When the soldiers, the guys under him, nailed Jesus to the cross, the centurion saw and heard Jesus pray, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He heard that, and he saw that. The centurion would have seen that. Remember, nothing happened on the cross or during the whole crucifixion ordeal. Nothing happened without his knowledge. He was there, and he heard Jesus pray that prayer. After Jesus, after the cross was lifted up and dropped into place, while Jesus hung on the cross, the centurion saw and heard Jesus provide care for his mother. The Gospel of John tells us that. That Jesus, while he hung on the cross, looked down at his, at his mother and he said, Mother, behold your son. And he indicated John the apostle. And then he said to John, Now, John, behold your mother. In other words, Jesus from the cross was caring for, as the firstborn, he was the firstborn. As the firstborn, he was caring for his mother after his death. And the centurion would have seen this. The centurion saw and heard Jesus extend mercy to the thief dying beside him. One of those thieves cried out for mercy, and Jesus told that, that thief, today you will be with me in paradise. He, the, the thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It was a statement of faith. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. The guy who was standing front and center saw it, and he heard it. He may have been one of the few people to see it and hear it. Maybe he was the one, we don't know. Maybe he was the one who relayed it later on as an eyewitness account. The centurion saw and heard Jesus cry out to his father in heaven, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The centurion saw that and he heard it. He observed it. Matthew's gospel says the centurion was terrified when he saw the earthquake that accompanied Jesus' death. He was undoubtedly unsettled, disturbed to the extreme when he saw the sky turn dark, become dark, three hours, for three hours preceding Jesus' death. This centurion was observing it all. It was his job to observe it all, and he saw it all. <coughs> he heard the comments. He saw the statements. He observed the interaction. He looked at the heavens when it became dark. He felt the earth when it shook. The man saw more than anyone that day. He was an objective observer. He probably didn't know. His heart was not breaking at least prior to this day. This was not a person that he had followed for three years. This was not a person who had known him for 33 years. This was not a person who was about to die himself. It's the most objective observer at the cross. He was literally front and center, and he saw, probably saw more than any other person. Now, Verse 39, it's in, in its entirety. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. I want you to see those words. It says he heard his cry and he saw how he died. He heard and he saw. He, he had heard what he'd been saying. He had seen what he had been doing and how he responded. And by the way, how he did not respond. And he saw how he died. And it says, he said, surely, this, can, can, can you picture it there? He's, He's standing there. He's observed all this. He's been on his feet a long time. It's already been a long day. He's seen all this interaction. 
He's a, he's a tough guy. He's jaded. He's, he's seen this kind of thing before, but not like this. And he looks up. Jesus had just breathed his last. And he says, surely, this was the Son of God. He came to the point of belief at the death of Jesus Christ. Surely, this man was the Son of God. <clears throat> For some months here at AFA, we have gone through the Gospel of Mark. In, in, in doing so, we have seen how Jesus lived. Again and again through the Gospel of Mark, we have seen how Jesus lived. We have seen on many occasions and in your own reading, in your own time in the Word, we can see Jesus' power demonstrated to sick people, even dead people. We have seen His compassion touching untouchable people caring for neglected people and people that others had dismissed. We have seen in his life his mercy. We have seen so much more about Jesus' life. Here's the thing, this, this centurion, this tough, tough centurion, did not observe, he saw very little, just, just a few hours of how Jesus lived. But when he saw how Jesus died, he believed. What he heard and what he saw that day made him believe that Jesus was in fact the Son of God. In the history of Christianity, 2,000 years old, that symbol, the symbol of the cross, to many people it, it means Christianity, and, and it does. To many people it, it means Christ, and it does. But really what the cross symbolizes is what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you and for me. Many people have stated, and you have heard, maybe you've even used this sentiment, that there are many ways to God. That there's a lot of ways in which we can make peace with Him. But please understand, that's a lie. Because if there were another way, then what Jesus did on the cross was an incredible waste of time. If there are multiple ways, different options, various roads to peace with God, which is a very popular sentiment, then all of the agony, all of the time, all of his entire life was, was without purpose. But here's the thing. It is only through the cross, only through the cross, that we can have eternal life. It's only through the cross that we can obtain the forgiveness of our sins. In Sunday school this morning, a brother was sharing. I thought it was so true. He said how, how so many people try to find hope and help in so many ways. 
And for a little while they feel good. But it doesn't last. It can't last because it's a false hope. But when our hope and when our trust and when our salvation (laughs) is because of the death of Jesus on the cross, then, then that will last. This morning, here's what I've done for many of us, perhaps you. This is a very familiar information. You, 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 may, you may leave this place not having learned anything, but here's what I want to do. I want you, figuratively speaking, to stand before that cross that Jesus died on, not one so pretty as this one. But I want you to stand before that cross and like a centurion whose name is never recorded, I want you to stand before that cross and declare with everything in you, surely he was, no, let me rephrase it, surely he is the Son of God. And even a step beyond that, not only the Son of God, but the crucified Son of God. And not only the crucified Son of God, but because He was the crucified Son of God, He purchased my salvation, and He alone can forgive my sins. I want you to stand before that cross and say, yes, Lord. I'm I'm glad that the centurion's name is not listed. I really am. I'm, someday we'll meet him. I really believe that someday we're going to meet this guy. He's, he's not going to be jaded and hard. Wouldn't you love to know the rest of his story? I don't know. But I'll tell you, I'm really glad that his name is not mentioned because it's kind of like, that's me. I've, I've observed it, but, but I want to come to the foot of the cross and observe him and say, because of how he lived and because of how he died, because of the, what the Word of God tells me, I believe in him. It's in him alone that I have salvation. In just a few moments, we're going to receive communion together. Before we do that, before anyone else moves, I want to give you the opportunity. For it would be wrong of me to tell you about salvation in Christ and not give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. So would you do this, please? Would you bow your heads, everyone, and close your eyes? And I want to pray with you. You may say, may I, I I want you to, along with a nameless centurion, say, who is this? And to come down to the conclusion he is, not was, not just was, but is the Son of God that he is the sacrifice for my sins, that he is my Savior. Do you know that his name, Jesus' name, the name of Jesus means the one who saves. The moment that he breathed his last, he demonstrated his name. He saves, and he still does. This morning, with no one looking around, I, I want to ask you, is there, is there anyone here that just, just with two small actions would um, signify to me, and I want to pray with you, would signify to me, yeah, I want to know Jesus in that way. I want to know Jesus in, as my Savior. If that is you this morning, maybe you've been away from Christ, you've walked away, you've made some choices, then you just don't really feel like you're connected to Him, and maybe you want to Uh, for lack of a better term, reconnect with him. You want to, again, affirm the very fact that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins. Then I want to pray with you as well. Is there anyone here this morning that would say, "I, I want to accept Jesus as my, I want to believe, I want to believe in him. I want him to forgive my sins. Would you do this? Would you lift up your hands so that I can identify you in the crowd? I will not embarrass you, but I just want to pray with you. And would you open your eyes and catch my eye when you do that? And 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 then you can put it down. Is there anyone here? 
you just lift up your hand and catch my eye. And as soon as you do that, I'll acknowledge you and you can put it down. Is there anyone here this morning? And say, yeah, that's me. I want to do that. Is there anyone here? Before we observe that last supper and remember his sacrifice, I want to give you this. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone? Our service is not done. I'm going to ask the uh, gentlemen who are going to be helping me if you would step forward. We're going to distribute the elements. Gentlemen, as soon as you receive them, you can go ahead and start uh, start distributing them and passing them out. Please, some instructions. Um, if you are here for the first time, you're not a member of this church, we observe what we call open communion. You are welcome to join us. You are welcome. We want you to. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a member of a church, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and we want you to take one of these, we, we, take, take the elements, take the bread and take the, one of those cups. And if you would, please hold it. When everyone has received, we will receive this together as a gathering of believers. So again, you do not need to be a member. Of, you may, this may be your first time here, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've made that decision to follow him, please take that, hold it, we'll receive it together. Also, the Bible's very clear. It says that we are to do a searching, a scanning, if you will. In these moments, we're, just a moment, we're going to sing a song that we sang earlier, and you can certainly sing along, but I also want you to, uh, to be praying and asking the Lord to search your heart. If there's anything, if there's anything that you want to just confess to him in these moments, just quietly right there where you are. You don't need to come and share it with me. That's not necessary. Jesus made it possible. You go to him. You say, Lord, forgive me. I want to receive this and I want to do it with a right heart. Please take advantage of these moments and do that in the next few minutes. Sing this together. Jesus Messiah. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing. Love so
spoke of the events of Friday of that week on Thursday, late Thursday, on that same week, less than 24 hours before Jesus breathed his last. In reflection upon this moment, the word says, I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we hold this bread in our hands. It represents your body all those years ago that was broken broken and brutalized for us thank you that you did it willingly you knew well ahead of time what was going to happen you could have run you didn't you could have demanded another way you didn't you willingly gave your body ultimately on that cross for us we remember you and we thank you. Let's receive this together. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Years later, the Apostle Paul added this. Whenever you drink this bread and eat, excuse me, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus has not yet returned. So therefore we remember. Jesus, we thank you for this cup that represents your blood. Your shed blood on that cross that purchased our salvation. That, as we sang earlier, washed away our sins. Thank you, Lord. We stand in you, for we can stand in no other. And we remember your shed blood. We live in this covenant, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, let's receive this together. Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all. Would you stand with me, please? Right now, you may be feeling like just a real celebration. Let me, uh, let me help you with something. There is a tradition. Tradition is only, is only good if you, if you do it with the right heart and you know why you do it. There's a tradition that many Christians often have, and that is that when we eat the bread and then when we drink the cup, there's often a... You'll, you'll often find in many places that people just verbally declaring thank you Lord or praise the Lord or thank you God or hallelujah or something like that. <laughs> so you know that's a pretty good tradition. That's why we do it because there's something inside of us that goes yes. What I just did remembers recalls what he did. So you know what? Just thank him right now with your voice and with your words. Just thank him right now. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we praise you. And we thank you for what you've done. And we thank you for what you're going to do, not only in us, but in so many others. I pray, Jesus, that we would take this message, this message of the cross to a world who is lost, who's looking for something, but they're lost without you. It is our prayer, Lord Jesus, that in these days ahead, these hours ahead, that you will use us so that others will know. 
so that in time others will gather around this table and they too will celebrate what you accomplished so that others when they die they will not go to hell but they will go to heaven because of what you accomplished on that cross in these next few days Lord as we anticipate celebrating again your resurrection use us use us for your glory may we be lights in darkness may we be salt in an unsavory world may you use your people we pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus the Messiah Jesus Christ amen amen God bless you this morning go in the presence of the Lord and would you do this grab one of these two of these five of these on the way out invite someone we're going to preach Jesus again next week the resurrection of Jesus Christ take advantage of these God bless you go in the presence and the power of Jesus Christ Jesus.